0: What's up, and welcome to the Bitcoin Magazine Podcast. I'm Dave.
1: And I'm Graham. You know how we know we just went through a bull run, right? How? Mainstream media. They're poking their little heads back in, asking everybody, What's, the, what's this Bitcoin thing? Huh? <laughs> what is a cryptocurrency?
0: Did you see uh, last week's episode of 60 Minutes?
1: Uh, I saw a clip of it. Let's Let's actually play it really quick. There's no actual coin.
2: That is true. That
0: is something that trips people I know people this up. is a
1: dumb question, but no, I can't no. get past that. It
0: took me a little while, too.
1: I'm so antiquated,
0: I can't imagine things that do not have a physical component.
2: It's really abstract for a lot of Don't people. patronize
0: me. <laughs> so Anderson Cooper's side, the question on everybody's mind right now is what pulled Bitcoin out of the bear market? Realistically, there's never one thing that makes Bitcoin's price rise or fall, right?
1: No, can't be. no, I mean... It's too complicated. It's way too complicated, and the mainstream media always wants to focus on one narrative and one answer for one problem, uh, the very, very focused uh, Bitcoin. There are several reasons that could be driving the price up, and today we wanted to focus on arguably one of the biggest reasons that's been fueling the recent bull run. Of course, we're
0: talking about the U.S.-China trade war, which could continue to affect the price... For years to come. For
1: several administrations from now.
0: To help us wrap our heads around this, we're joined by Jeffrey Tucker, an economics writer who's written several books. He's going to help us understand what impact the U.S.-China trade conflict might have on the Bitcoin price.
1: But first, let's take a quick look at the news. Raise your pizza to the one and only Laszlo Hunyats. May twenty-second marked the ninth annual Bitcoin Pizza Day, celebrating the first real-world transaction in Bitcoin's history. At Bitcoin's all-time high, those Bitcoins spent on Papa John's pizza would be worth $200 million. Laszlo Hunyatz, the man behind the holiday, has famously become a meme in the butt of many poor investment jokes. But in reality, Laszlo is a Bitcoin mining pioneer. In the early days of Bitcoin, mining was primarily done by CPUs, which were more flexible in the tasks they could tackle, but could only perform one at a time. This led Laszlo to develop the first mining code using GPUs, or graphics cards, which increased his hash power tenfold. Other users quickly repurposed his code for versions of Windows, Macs, and Linux, revolutionizing the mining industry. Almost ten years later, Laszlo is still involved in Bitcoin as a hobby, but not really a career, and he looks back on his infamous purchase with a healthy sense of humor. So from the Bitcoin Magazine team and the community in general, we thank you, Laszlo.
0: Last week, the Dutch Financial Intelligence and Investigation Service shut down the crypto mixing service, Best Mixer. Crypto mixing is essentially the practice of pooling multiple transactions together, scrambling funds, and obscuring links between addresses. It's a popular method for adding another layer of anonymity to cryptocurrency transactions, and it's fairly common. The Best Mixer shutdown came after internet security firm McAfee raised concerns about its service, claiming that it is being used to launder money. While the Best Mixer shutdown may be bad news for other crypto-mixing services out there, Best Mixer seems to have been particularly
1: egregious about its willingness to let users break the law. Speaking of scrambling your funds… A revelation from Tether's ongoing legal troubles revealed that its reserves includes a combination of assets that investors probably weren't aware of. According to court documents originally obtained by the Block. Tether's stablecoin is apparently backed by Bitcoin, at least in part. In theory, Tether is supposed to maintain stable value because it's backed by the U.S. dollar. Originally, it claimed that every Tether token was backed by $1 in reserve. Earlier this year, it changed that backing to include loans. In a testimony included in Tether's ongoing dispute with the New York Attorney General's office, legal counsel revealed that Tether has used some of its reserve funds to invest in Bitcoin, among other instruments. Using stablecoin reserves to invest in an asset as volatile as Bitcoin appears to defeat the purpose, but hey, we're not blaming anyone for buying Bitcoin.
0: And if you've been fascinated enough by Bitcoin's volatility lately, you might also like to know what Ron Paul thinks. Last week in New York, Bitcoin magazine's Colin Harper talked with the retired libertarian politician Ron Paul about gold cryptocurrencies and why the U.S. dollar could self-destruct. During the interview, Paul admitted that his interest in cryptocurrency comes from recognizing the need for alternative assets in a free marketplace. Paul went on to say the more successful cryptocurrencies are, the more the federal government will want to be involved, and that banning cryptocurrencies could be done as a last-ditch effort to save the U.S. dollar. An outspoken privacy advocate and critic of the U.S. federal government's physical policies, Paul was preaching sound money well before most of us were even born.
1: As we mentioned earlier, one of the proposed causes for Bitcoin's most recent bull run is the U.S.-China trade conflict. This geopolitical event falls in line with the idea of Bitcoin's use as a global financial safe haven. To better understand the trade conflict and explore its connection to Bitcoin, we spoke to Jeffrey Tucker, an economics writer and the current editorial director for the American Institute of Economic Research. You know,
2: risk taking and and competition and the magic and mystery of the, the price system the coordination across borders and all over the world, you know, that all come down to reduce to the chicken fingers that you're eating. You know, it's, that is, to me, amazing. <laughs> and I can't stop telling that story. It enraptured me from the time I was, you know, 20 years old, and it still does today.
0: That's Jeffrey. He's been covering the U.S.-China trade conflict since it first began in early 2018. His libertarian-leaning economic views have also made him a strong advocate for cryptocurrency. Here he is again.
2: If you think of Bitcoin as kind of the new gold, it's actually an improvement over gold in the sense that it doesn't take up space and it doesn't weigh anything. So when I realized it was actually an improvement over gold, I began to think, you know, it's possible that that crypto uh, could become a new safe haven because we always need one. And I think I have discerned a pattern and I would have to get some serious... uh, uh, Econometrics to prove it, but I've discerned a pattern since about I would say mid to late 2013 where every time there's sort of market trouble, uh, crypto responds and gold sometimes responds, but not nearly as much. So I think that there has been a change in market psychology around the world that hardly anybody has commented upon, that uh, crypto has become the new way to protect yourself against uh, violence. The political elites and arbitrary rule. And it's not just here. It's it's in China, it's in Malaysia, it's in Latin America, it's all over the world. So this is a really cool kind of global resistance movement um, in, in a sense. And it's, and it's happening through economics and finance.
0: And what are some of the better known events that trouble markets?
2: Well, you know, when liqu- liquidity problems, you know, appear in the banking system where Suddenly, you can't you can't get loans, and the and the you know the banking system seems to be under pressure, or it's at some extent broken, um, uh, where trading relationships uh, break down and supply chains are disrupted, where there's rumors of a large bank been unable to you know uh, meet its, its obligations when there's talk of new regulatory regime that's going to make it more difficult for us to engage each other. I mean, all these kind of events tend to trigger more interest in crypto. And I'm not one of these to the moon guys. Like, I actually think that crypto has a price and it's the right price, whatever it is right now. But uh, the demand for this technology tends to rise when there's political trouble. I, I think We've started to see that happening. At first, I thought I was imagining it, right? Like in 2013, I started to think, "Well, maybe, maybe I'm just making this up," you know. But I have seen it so often, and more recently, like this this bump that we've seen, actually this extraordinary bump we've seen in the markets, I think is probably nobody can prove this, a direct reflection of the fact that uh, U.S. regime is is completely and wholly dedicated to fomenting a global trade uh, war. And and the demand for crypto has just gone through the roof. I mean, I think it was underpriced for the last year and a half. I mean, the the this this bear market was actually quite devastating, and it really kind of rattled everybody. You know, you guys are you're kind of a crypto-oriented podcast, you know what it was like the last year and a half. I mean, people have just been glum and just depressed and, oh my God, I can't believe we expanded the business so much. What were we thinking? $20,000 is unsustainable. We're not ready for this technology. And when's, this, when's, the, when's the winter going to end? Is it April? Is it September? Is it December? You know, it just kept going on and on. And it was miserable. And then I think, I think the markets just needed um, a good reason to correct. And Trump's trade war just provoked that, gave us that reason.
0: Taking a few steps back, can you just give us a rudimentary understanding of the U.S.-China trade war?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, first of all, anybody who's been raised in the post-war period has come to believe that the one true thing is that trade should be free, and, and the trade barriers should be low, and the tariffs should be low, and we should have more economic integration. And, and that's the doctrine in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the end of the story. Amen we are going to have free trade forever and that's the way history works. And and there was a massive consensus all over the world. And then in July 2015, I was hanging out in Vegas at at a dumb conference and Trump spoke. And I heard this guy speak and I thought, oh my God, this guy does not understand the division of labor. He thinks that all production should be national. And he thinks that anything that's not national is actually uh, downward pressure on the GDP. And the way a country becomes great is by promoting autarky. I mean, it was weird because it it's just completely contradicts everything Adam Smith taught us and, and Ricardo and every every economist for like hundreds and hundreds of years actually has believed in free trade. And this guy didn't get it. I mean, like it was not, well, there's a couple of levels to it. And one is that, a protectionist regime is is almost always dictatorial. It increases the power of the executive. And Donald Trump loves nothing better than that. But it was also like this weird, strange intellectual failing that he had. Like he just couldn't grok it. And so I wrote about it immediately. In fact, just this morning, I reread an article I wrote of July of 2015. I mean, I would be really happy to reread the sections on all this stuff, but I warned that, Okay, it might be true that Trump is an authoritarian racist. It might be true, all the terrible things that everybody says about it might be true. But actually the overwhelming truth about him is that he is a mercantilist, autarkist, protectionist. And that he imagines himself to be the CEO of this country. And that he's going to run this country like a business, his own private business. And he's going to vertically and horizontally integrate all production under his control. And I warned about this in 2015. I said, you, you think he's going to liberate us? This could destroy everything you love and disrupt the world economy and lead to war. I mean, I, I just flat out said it. So this is a catastrophe in the making and everybody was against me. I mean, it was just the, I, I got so, I got trolled so hard. I mean, thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of angry tweets and bitterness and hatred. I mean, like I've never experienced anything like it. I mean, I went to Freedom Fest the next year and I gave a big speech against Donald Trump. I said, you know, you, you, you think he's gonna liberate you? He's gonna raise your taxes, he's gonna increase Depression is going to is going to limit your travel and uh, wreck the worldwide division of labor, and you will suffer. And I yelled this to the crowd, and the boos were overwhelming. Like two thirds of the audience was like screaming at me, "Boo, boo, boo!" Yelling, yelling me off stage. Okay, Jeffrey, what is a tariff? So a tariff erects a barrier. It says if you want to import this uh, this good from this foreign country, and it's coming across the border, then you're going to have to pay ten percent. You're going to pay. 20%, 25% of the value of this thing as a form of tax. Foreign countries don't pay tariffs. Americans do pay tariffs. So Trump's just lying about that. That's what, a, that's what a tariff is. What a trade deficit is, is just an accounting fiction that measures the difference between what we buy from a country versus what that country buys from us. And what's weird about these trade deficit figures is that they're calculated based on what's called the uh, country of origin and that in turn is defined by whether and to what extent a single product not service but a single product is substantially transformed so you could uh, you could come up with the idea of a, uh, a bitcoin uh, coffee cup and you might sell it to all your customers you design it and all the people who buy it are your people and you're making all the profits and everything else, but you discover it's easier to produce this coffee cup in China, which it often is. Well, guess what? The country of origin of your coffee cup is China. And so when people buy your Bitcoin coffee mug, they, that registers in the international trade statistics as a uh, purchase from China. And uh, if you're buying more from China than China is buying from you, in other words, you're buying more Bitcoin coffee mugs uh, from China than China's buying Bitcoin coffee mugs made in Town C or whatever, then that registers as a trade deficit.
0: Okay, I got to ask you, is there a link between the trade conflict and the Bitcoin price?
2: Well, it's very difficult to discern cause and effect in real-time financial markets. But at this point, I would say that... I'm just going to throw out a number and say two thirds of the run up in the price we've seen in the last six weeks is due to the trade war.
0: So how does this whole thing start?
2: Yeah, well, it began in 2018 with, uh, you know, this, this large, large scale tariffs against uh, steel and aluminum. That was his first thing. And then he started going, those, those are, you know, capital goods, those are production goods. And then he started going after consumer goods and targeting the single country, which is really kind of unprecedented in the post-war period. Targeting a single country, we're not going to buy your your stuff anymore, or if we do, uh, we're going to, uh, are going to punish our own citizens for doing so. And, and again, like I think our trade deficit was something like, you know, we listeners can check all my numbers on this stuff, but you know, you, the, Doesn't matter what they're precisely accurate, but I think it's like 425 billion. And so Trump wanted to uh, tax that amount of goods as a way of resolving the trade deficit. And by the way, the trade deficit with China has only gotten worse ever since the trade war began. So it's 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 had an unintended consequence of um, actually um, uh, causing uh, you know more disruption in trade, not, not 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 reduction in trade deficit at all. So I knew that Trump really had it in his brain that he wanted to tax up to more than $400 billion worth of Chinese uh, product. And, and and here's how weird economics is. So in the first quarter of 2019, we saw something like a 3.5, 3.25% annualized increase in the GDP. And if you don't know anything and you're kind of stupid, then you can attribute that to anything. So Trump said, ah, there you go. My, my, uh, my tariffs are working. So he thinks that he caused, he caused increase in productivity in the first quarter because of his tariffs. It's, 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 it's madness. It's utter, utter madness.
0: Do you think we're anywhere close to finding a resolution on this?
2: Well, So this is where I completely disagree with many, many commentaries. Everybody's assuming that Trump wants some kind of deal. I don't believe that. I think Trump wants tariffs, and he doesn't want a deal. He, he wants more and more tariffs. I mean, he's negotiated in very bad faith. I mean, he's made the Chinese communists look great. You know, <laughs> <I> mean, like <laughs> they've been earnest negotiators trying to come up with some solution to keep world trade going. What do you mean by that? Well, because they've been they've been coming to the negotiations assuming uh, a, an earnest desire to reach a deal. And it was like, well, what, what do you want? You want your intellectual property stuff? Okay, we'll change that. You want less industrial subsidies? Well, uh, we can work on that, but what are you going to do about your agricultural subsidies? And, you know, they came to the table expecting, actually not even understand, poor Chinese, it feels so bad them, but not even understand what the problem was, right? And they kept throwing out new solutions, but every time there's a new solution, there was a new problem. Yeah, but... What about your enterprise special economic zones? You've got that's really unfair. And when our companies come to your country, isn't it wrong that you uh, 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 you let your companies negotiate deals that involve uh, stealing of IP? And and wait, your intellectual property laws are terrible, especially on pharmaceuticals, because you have this great exemption for medicinal herbs that are. Ancient Chinese secrets and so on. So every time the Chinese uh, China negotiators would try to come up with some solution to the problem to come to a deal, Trump administration would reject it and say that eh, that's no good. I mean, the question is why, and I think the answer is that the U.S., meaning Donald Trump, does not want a deal. He wants high tariffs and wants to fundamentally disrupt uh, our trading relationship with China, and he's getting his way. It's, a, it's, it's really catastrophically evil and it's going to be so expensive for American consumers, but it's even going to be worse than that. We don't even know what the consequences are going to be. It could be absolutely grim because the world economy for the last 20 years has really, really 50 years, really benefited from this cooper- international cooperation. And now we're just, the U.S. is just out there saying, eh, nah, everything should be made in the U.S.,
0: So what do you think is the Trump administration's end
2: game here? The end game is high, 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 high tariffs, which he thinks he can drive all production of everything into the United States borders. That's his end game. And it's extremely terrifying because it will absolutely impoverish us. It really will. If he gets his full agenda through, it's going to be a catastrophe. We've not seen anything like this, anything remotely like this since... 1930s, smooth holly tariffs, but and they were 40, 45 uh, percent, but they pertain to not that many goods, right? These tariffs that Trump's doing pertain to everything. Like, just look around you and see how many things are made with uh, multinational uh, cooperation uh, that are they're inclusive of Chinese uh, production. I mean, every everything around you is going to be disrupted. Supply chains, the costs are going to rise, prices are going to rise. We don't have enough. Workers are going to be diverted from this industry to that industry. Repairing the damage of the Trump administration is going to take 10 years. And, and actually, the rep- reparations for the damage he's doing is not going to begin for another five.
0: Okay, so what's going to be the long-term impact on
2: this? I think, I think what Trump is teaching the world pertains to the, the danger of relying on politicians to make decisions for our lives. And that's going to be the lasting impact of Trump. Like the never Trump movement is going to, here's, here's my actual prediction. Like after he leaves office in five years, there's going to be such wreckage and people are going to realize just how horrible everything was that, that it's going to leave at least for one generation, a lasting lesson. Don't ever trust any one man with that much power. Um, and if you don't mind, let me just back up slightly on this question because we, like foreigners do not understand this, Americans do not understand this. Uh, they don't understand how Trump alone could be making these decisions and having such impact on the world economy. Like how is it possible that under a system of checks and balances and constitutions and you know a limited government like we're supposed to have and so on that one person could get away with this? It's a little bit circuitous like, if you read the U.S. Constitution, it says Congress has sole power over to negotiate trade deals with foreign nations. Like, wait, how do we get from that to this new system? The answer is really weird. Um, after Smoot-Hawley in 1930, which was passed by Congress, um, many stakeholders in the systems of government around the world said, we don't trust legislators with this power because they have abused it and they caused the Great Depression to get much, much worse. And from now on, starting in 1934, uh, going forward, uh, uh, trade will be centralized in the executive because we can. it's only the executive we can really trust to protect free trade. Isn't that crazy? And so crazy. that actually happened. So here we suddenly, everything is going along swimmingly, right? Every president... From FTR forward, has been basically about negotiating better and better deals um, uh, and lower and lower tariffs. And you can look at the charts and see that ever since the uh, general agreement on tariffs and trade of, in 1948, tariffs have fallen and fallen and fallen. And that's just what everybody thought the world was supposed to work like. And that's the way it was going to be. And then, whoops, the wrong guy gets in charge of the levers of power. And nobody can stop it.
0: In the future, if Bitcoin became more widely adopted as a currency or store of value, how would a trade conflict work differently?
2: Let's say you want to design a website and everybody knows it's too expensive. You can't afford it. So you go to a service like Upwork and you hire some guy in Beijing. He's like, oh, it's no problem. I'll do it for a tenth of the price. You pay him through Upwork channels. There's no tariff. I mean, you've hired a guy in Beijing. There's no tariff. Service, uh, services are not subject to care of tariffs because they'd be impossible to collect, impossible to collect. Mm-hmm. So the service side, and thank God we've got such a big global service economy right now because that, that is exempt from this ward. The problem pertains to the goods we use iPhones, iMacs, dishwashing detergent, candles, glassware, flatware pictures on your wall, you know, all those things that are the physical things around us are profoundly uh, affected by this. And, Um, We've got now huge tariff walls uh, going up and retaliation going up. And so all this stuff's going to rise in price. I don't know how crypto will affect compliance with tariffs. However, I do know that humanity is not very good in living in cages. You know, we're birds, we want to fly. We could actually start seeing the rise of a massive global gray market in goods that will evade uh, tariff uh, compliance, and that could be fueled by uh, uh, cryptocurrency mainly. This is what always always what happens. I mean, like, if New York taxes cigarettes, you know, at 100%, what happens? Almost immediately. You're gonna get cheaper cigarettes on the street. Suddenly they're being smuggled from New Jersey, Connecticut, and Massachusetts, in people's trunks, and sold through alternative means, right? That's what taxes and barriers to trade always do. They inspire the creation of gray and black markets. So if we're going to create a a massive global uh, uh, tax regime where all goods coming and going from every country are subject to 10, 25, 40% taxation, uh, you incentivize people to um, find alternative ways of saving money. And you will not be able to stop it. No matter how many citations you deliver, how many people you put in jail, you'll never stop it.
0: Can you explain how tariffs actually work? Like, how are they collected?
2: Let's go back to our Bitcoin coffee cup again. And um, you want to get this coffee cup and you've got 5,000 of them being coming in from China. And so now you've got the customs saying, whoops, uh, each cup is worth $5. Um, so you're going to have to pay a 25% tariff on that. That's going to massively raise your costs. So how, how do you pay that? Um, do you just write a check to the treasury? No. What happens is you have to hire, a, 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 an agency called it's a private company called an importer of record. So when the thing comes over on the boat and is unloaded, the importer of record, uh, gets a, a complete list of everything that's the thing. And then, you know, and then he pays and then you pay him and he charges you a premium, right? He charges for his services. And then you have to pay the costs um, and maybe you can split the difference with them or something. I mean, there's, there's ways you can go about this, but basically you've got a hot potato in the form of a huge premium that you didn't want to pay and somebody's going to bear the cost. So now you finally got them, but your bottom line is really squeezed, right? So you paid more for the coffee cups than you wanted to. So you were going to sell them for $10 each. Now you, you and your friends are sitting around going, well, you know, we got a problem because we had to pay, we had a a huge bill from this importer of record. It was terrible. And uh, we're having a hard time paying salaries. We're gonna have to raise the prices of these things. So instead of $10, your coffee cup now costs $15. But that also reduces the quantity demanded among your customers. Because many people are like, they'll take a Bitcoin mug for 10 bucks, but 15 is 10, it's a little edgy, right? So you're gonna sell fewer. So now your business is under pressure from another direction so you got growing costs less demand for your goods and and ultimately you can't pay your salaries you're gonna have to uh, fire an employee and that means you're gonna have to work a lot longer hours and so on and so So these are the spillover consequences of just small changes in tariffs terrible it's terrible and evil wow
1: yeah i want to go take a shower
2: (laughs) (laughs) hey but we're making america great
1: The Bitcoin Magazine Podcast is a BTC Media-produced podcast on the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network. Stories come from articles written by Bitcoin Magazine staff, including Peter Chihuahua, Colin Harper, Jimmy Key, Landon Manning, and Aaron Van Weirdem. Theme music provided by Billy Sly from the Crypto Cantina. A very special thanks to our guest, Jeffrey Tucker, and of course, Satoshi Nakamoto. We are eternally grateful. Visit BitcoinMagazine.com for more in-depth news, analysis, and resources about the most successful peer-to-peer currency— And make sure to follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin Magazine. You can find more engaging crypto podcasts over at letstalkbitcoin.com. You can follow them on Twitter at the LTB Network for all the latest episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the show on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. And if you got the time, please leave us a review. It really helps us improve the show and reach new listeners. Again, guys, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.